0: Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
1: Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion.
2: If you're constantly on the hunt for a good deal, then you need Rakuten. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop because members get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, traveling, dining, and more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores. Why not save while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Get the Rakuten app now and join the 17 million members who are already saving. Cashback rates change daily. See Rakuten.com for details. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Your cashback really adds up.
1: Are you struggling to close deals? Cold Outreach is wasting the time of both the buyer and seller at every stage, especially when sellers are using shallow and outdated data. Your organization can overcome these challenges with technology that translates comprehensive, high quality buyer data into real time insights. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to better outcomes like more pipeline, higher win rates, and larger deals. We call this deep sales, and we've built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash trial. That is linkedin.com slash trial for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash trial and get started.
2: Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
3: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Eye on Travel podcast. It's a new year, a brave new world. And every travel projection about 2020, of course, proved to be wrong. But what about 2021? It's not shaping up to be any more accurate. For 2020, it was predicted that 1.4 billion people would cross a border, a new record. In fact, it was only 400 million. That's one billion fewer people. We were warned there was a huge pilot shortage coming. In fact, today more than half of the world's airline pilots are no longer flying. And so what about the rest of this year? I'm joined by Hugo Martin from the Los Angeles Times with a report on the pilots that are flying, as well as some hotels that are no longer with us. Then Roger Dow, president of the U.S. Travel Association, with the new challenges of COVID-19 testing. Will it be a requirement to fly within the United States? And then, a little trip down the aspirational lane with a travel editor for U.S. News & World Report, Zach Watson, with the magazine's 11th annual listing of the best hotels, with some surprises and some surprising locations. First up, Hugo Martin. One of our regular guests on the show. We love having him on from the Los Angeles Times. None other than Mr. Hugo Martin. Welcome back, Hugo.
4: Hey, thanks for having me, Peter great to be
3: with you. You know, I saw a survey this week, which we never would have seen a year ago. A year ago, we were talking about the coming pilot shortage, that airlines were growing, destinations were growing, and they didn't know where they're going to get the pilots from, because historically, you know, for decades, airline pilots came from the ranks of the military, but in a year that we were, in a decade that we're now developing drone and gamers, uh, not a lot of fighter pilots uh, coming out of the, out of the uh, out of the Air Force or the Navy or the Marines, and they were really worried about how they were going to fill the left seat and the right seat of their planes. That is certainly not the case a year later, when the story I saw yesterday was, half the pilots in the world are no longer flying. How about that?
4: Yeah, and a lot of planes are just parked out in the desert, uh, just uh, waiting for demand to pick up again.
3: And then the story that you did which I suppose in, in a certain way was almost inevitable that a number of airline pilots are making in-flight errors simply because they're sort of rusty. Yeah,
4: so a lot of pilots, you know, when the, when the pandemic first hit in March, uh, a lot of um, airlines stopped flying uh, a lot of their, you know, less busy routes and even some of their busy routes. And so pilots were sitting out, uh, you know, for two, three months without actually flying. And then they came back to uh, to their jobs, and uh, they, they realized they were a little out of uh, practice. They were a little rusty. And, and, and when I did my research, I found several examples of pilots just doing sort of, you know, things that uh, they forgot they were supposed to do. Like um, one example is a pilot was uh, the plane was pulling away from the gate, and he forgot to disengage the, the parking brake. And so that the tow vehicle that was trying to pull the plane away from the gate uh, it it broke because uh, the pilot didn't uh, disengage the parking brake um another pilot forgot to turn on the anti-icing mechanism that uh, makes sure that the um the sensors that 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 uh, read altitude and airspeed make sure that those don't get blocked with ice he forgot to uh You know, activate the anti-icing mechanism. So there were things like that um, that pilots were just forgetting to do uh, because they'd been away for so long.
3: It's true, and and you know, one of the you know there are two words that that I'm a big fan of. It's called recurrent training, and the airlines are now getting back up to speed and getting by guys back in the simulators and women back in the simulators to, you know, get them back literally up to speed. As uh, as the number of planes coming back in the air is starting to to increase, which means the number of pilots getting back in starting to increase. I mean, not dramatically, but measurably.
4: Right. Well, one thing I I found when I looked into the, the the issue about simulators is that the FBI. I'm oh, sorry, the FAA requires pilots to uh, you know get in the simulators if they haven't been um, you know flying in a while. But because of the pandemic, they were worried about uh, spreading the COVID virus, you know, putting a couple of pilots in a simulator, you know, in that little confined space. So they, um, they adjusted their normal requirements and, and, and made it so that you didn't have to spend as much time uh, in a simulator. So that sort of uh, compounded the problem of these pilots being rusty.
3: Exactly. So that's number one up on our, t- our list today. Number two, not necessarily particular to Southern California, but you do report for the Los Angeles Times, when we're looking at a hotel foreclosure rate that can be as high as 34% in some cities, LA is certainly not immune from that or the Los Angeles, Southern California area. Uh, two hotels come to mind that you reported on both of them. Uh, one, uh, the Standard Hotel right there on, on, in West Hollywood, not right. just closing, but shutting down
4: yeah the, uh, the the owner of the lease on that property uh, just jacked up the uh, the price and uh, the operators of that hotel just decided I mean uh, you know demand has been so low for for hotels um, they just couldn't uh, they couldn't operate a hotel there anymore. Um, I tried to find uh, you know reach out to the lease holder and, and find out what they plan to do, but uh, they never got back to me. But it's not surprising. I did do a story a couple of months back talking to, um, you know, uh, people in the hospitality industry, and they were projecting what they called a tsunami of bankruptcies in the hotel industry if, uh, if you know, tourism and, and, uh, and travel doesn't pick up soon.
3: You're right. And then one of the iconic—I I hesitate to call it a hotel, but it is a floating hotel— it's been parked in, in the port of Long Beach since, I think, 1967 or 1968. So we're talking, you know, over 50 years. And that's the legendary Queen Mary, the original Queen Mary. And now they have filed for bankruptcy, their operator, because they couldn't make it work.
4: Yeah, and, and the Queen Mary has had a history of problems. Um, so many different companies have come in and tried to make it a profitable venture, and uh, nobody's really been able to do it. Um, The latest is is a company called Eagle Hospitality, and they filed for Chapter 11 uh, protection a couple of weeks ago because they were just, uh, you know, having so much problems, uh, not only with COVID, you know, pushing demand down, but the Queen Mary itself uh, requires a lot of upkeep. uh, It's, uh, you know, it's a 85-year-old ocean liner, so... You know, there's a lot of maintenance and there's a lot of upkeep, uh, which, which you know, adds to the cost.
3: You know, we've actually been lucky enough over the last maybe 15 years to have broadcast from the Queen Mary three different times on this show. We loved it. The history there is amazing. Of course, every Halloween they will be the first to tell you that the ship is haunted. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. If not economically haunted, then haunted by other ghosts. Um, and then the question becomes for the city of Long Beach... If the ship is just sitting there and is a non-performing asset, what happens to it?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, so the ship is owned by the city of Long Beach. And uh, they, um, you know, when, when I asked them about the uh, bankruptcy, they said they're going to take it up in a city council meeting uh, coming up in March. So um, uh, we still don't know what they plan to do with it.
3: Well, you know, as you said before, you go... This is not the first time they've had some difficulties there financially with the ship. And, you know, they put it out for bids. I would be surprised if the city of Long Beach didn't actually put it up for bids again to see if somebody wanted to come in and take over the management contract and try to make a go of it again. Although, in this environment, I don't know if they're going to have any takers.
4: Yeah, I mean, the company that just went bankrupt, um, they had some major plans for not only the ship but for the area around it, they were going to make it into this whole tourism uh, magnet with shops and with restaurants and, and just this huge uh, sort of like, uh, you know, city walk sort of place. And uh, it's just bad timing. I mean, no, nobody's uh, going out there and spending money on that sort of thing. So, um, uh, you know, maybe something like that would work, but uh, just not right now.
3: It's tough. It's tough. I just hope they do. They, they keep it somehow. Maybe it's not a hotel. Maybe it's a museum. Maybe there's a way to use it just as a wedding venue. But uh, I'd hate to see the, the the Queen Mary go. If you've never been to the Queen Mary, you need to, you know, when they reopen it, and I hope they do, I hope you'll go see it. It's worth it. My thanks to Hugo. The stimulus packages rolled out, or perhaps thrashed around and then rolled out by Congress last year, and then again this year, well, do they go far enough to save the largest industry in the world, travel and tourism? Especially when you consider that unemployment in the travel sector is now at a staggering 51%. Roger Dow, president of the U.S. Travel Association, interprets those figures for us with just a few thoughts of what can and should be done. You really want a good gauge on what's going on out there, as in addition to what's not going on out there. My next goes, my next guest knows just a little bit about this. I mean, consider this 4.5 million jobs have been lost in the travel industry, many of them never coming back. Hotels, in many cases, in some cities, a 34% possible foreclosure rate. Um, and even with the most recent stimulus package suggested by Congress, it didn't deal with. Uh, so many other aspects of the travel industry, including hotels and travel agencies and everyone else. Uh, joining me now, the president of the U.S. Travel Association, Roger Dow. Hello, sir.
5: Hi, how you doing? Always good to speak with you, Peter.
3: Yeah, you know, when looking at the numbers here, and, and of course, every week, this week being no exception, the number of unemployment numbers still going up, still staying strong, and the fact that you see, you know, 900,000 Americans, new Americans filing for unemployment benefits, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get them.
5: Uh, yeah, there's, there's no question about it. Uh, it's uh, This has been so harmful to the travel industry. And uh, with so many people out of work uh, and so many small businesses, as you said, hanging on, and even the big businesses, we've got to get travel back again because as travel goes, so goes the U.S. economy and jobs.
3: Of course, though, you have the, the almost built-in conflict between the economic interests of the travel industry and the public health issues that are surrounding us for almost a year now. Uh, and we saw the new rules go into effect last week. Uh, the mask rules, of course, now being enforced by the TSA. We've seen the rules that are coming in from Canada that essentially have stopped all flights for passengers to Ca- Caribbean and Mexico through April 30th. We see new U.S. rules for anybody returning to the United States has to be able to provide proof of a negative COVID-19 test within 72 hours of their actual departure date. And then that may be just the beginning. There's a lot of talk out there right now that uh, the CDC wants Americans to be tested before they get on any flight, even in the U S.
5: Yeah. When you look at it, Peter, we're very much in favor of uh, doing testing, at least in the short term uh, of people coming into this country. It's going to be one of the most important ways that we can open the country. uh, But uh, testing people in the U S uh, is just not practical when you talk about four or five hundred million flights uh, being tested before you get on a trip to go somewhere that have to go get a test before you come back. The airlines, as you know, are doing a very good job when it comes to uh, health and safety protocols, the HEPA filters and all that. And uh, in fact, a Harvard study just recently said you're safer on a plane than you are in the grocery store. So uh, it's just the impracticality of testing Americans when the travel industry doing so many things. To keep Americans safe, it just doesn't make
3: a lot of sense. Although we're not—I don't think anybody's asking the airlines to do the tests. Uh, we got a situation where I have no problem, by the way, Roger, of getting on an airplane. I think I—I I agree with you. I think they've done a great job in terms of their HEPA filters, and I wear a double mask on a plane. And as you know, I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. My concern yeah. is the behavior of the people when I land and where I land. Uh, we were just shooting in Mexico. And we were shooting in four separate states in Mexico. And almost everywhere we went, people were behaving. They were truly practicing social distancing, not just at the hotels, but in restaurants um, and on the beaches. And we only had one instance where we we saw people ignoring it. And it's a matter of situational awareness. We got to a hotel in Cancun, and there were 300 idiotic Americans, no masks, crowded into a bar uh, within, you know, a foot of each other. And we said, see ya, we left. Uh, but by and large, you know, we didn't have a problem, uh, going there and we didn't have a problem being there. And then of course, with the new rules coming up, what's the first thing a lot of the resorts in Mexico are doing? They're offering free COVID-19 tests for any of their guests. Uh, and basically in some of these cases saying, oh, by the way, should you test positive, we'll put you up with your significant other at this hotel for 14 days on us. That's not a bad deal. Yeah,
5: I I think that's a very uh, smart approach when you, when you think about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, tomorrow's the Super Bowl, and uh, I'm down for the Super Bowl, going to go to it. And uh, boy, the protocols they're putting in place is they want you to have a mask on when you get out of the car through in the stadium and all that. And I think if we Americans are smart, if we wear the masks on the planes, which everyone is doing, uh, we're going to get this thing behind us sooner. And uh, it's just, there's not room for people not following the rules right now. I want to see the masks go away. I mean, it's uncomfortable, as you know, flying from L.A. to New York with a mask on. But the bottom line, if it's going to make us healthier and safer for the short term, let's do it Let's everyone
3: do it. 51% industry unemployment figure. Uh, not a lot of bailout money going to a lot of those people. The airlines, maybe, yes. Some other industries, yes. But not But not the travel agencies, not the frontline workers, not the restaurant workers, not the restaurants. Uh, you know, I'm calling you right now from New York where... You know, 1,500 restaurants have closed and will never reopen. So we have a long road back, but obviously we have a new administration. Congress is in session. Do you see any light at the end of the tunnel legislatively if they can ever agree on anything to to basically help those other segments of the travel industry?
5: Well, I I sure hope so. The last uh, relief package was certainly helpful, but it never should have taken that long. It shouldn't, you know, politics on either side got in the way. Uh, That should have been done in August. And uh, so many people just can't hang on, you know, for uh, a political purpose. I do see some light at the end of the tunnel coming. Uh, with more people getting testing, uh, tested, co- confidence is going up. I really see drive market is only down about 5%. It's the air market that's down about 65%. So that's the challenge. And when you stated 51%, Peter... I looked up the worst year of the Great Depression was 25 percent of Americans out of work. So for the travel industry, this is twice the Great Depression. So it is a disaster that government has to step in and help these people and bring this industry back.
3: Does the Biden sort of uh, rescue plan uh, uh, basically address those particular unemployment figures in those job categories?
5: Uh, I think that the Biden plan is a very good step, the rescue plan. And we're meeting with the Biden administration every day. Uh, to share with them how important uh, travel is. And I look forward to personally meeting with him, just as we have with the past two or three presidents, because to get the understanding, as goes this industry, goes U.S. economy. You bring back travel, you bring back jobs faster than anything, and the economy faster than anything else.
3: Of course, one of the questions that I keep getting asked, and I can't answer it, is when are we opening up the borders to international travelers? And you know better than anybody that their spend in this country from an economic impact point of view is staggering. It's what, $255 billion that's not being spent right now.
5: Not only is it $255 billion, but when you talk of things like balance of trade, it's one of the few areas the United States has a trade surplus. Uh, We love the international visitors because they stay 16 nights and they spend almost $5,000 per person. Uh, But we're not going to get international back until there's consistency around the world. When you and I go through TSA, whether it's here or the, the equal thing in Europe or China or anywhere, it's about the same. Every country has a different protocols, different quarantines. Until we get the world, the major countries all agreeing on common protocols and practices, it may be a longer time coming back than we want.
3: Well, you know, we have uh, American Airlines came out with sort of a health passport, a sort of a, a, an application to keep all your records, including your COVID nineteen tests, at the at the ready. Uh, Denmark is developing a a digital passport which would contain medical history but what you're saying Roger, is that nobody's doing one that's universally acceptable or universally readable yet and that's what we really need
5: that is correct i mean in this technological age we should be able to get there uh with a a common thing i mean it's just like uh you know you and i many years ago used to carry around a little yellow piece of paper a shot record Uh, But we should be able to get common technology, a a common pass or something, or have them all talk to each other. And uh, that shouldn't be that hard. But until we get there, it's going to be a lot of confusion and a lot of people not traveling.
3: You know, it's interesting. If I'm coming back to the United States and they take my passport at that ticket counter, they scan it. And that goes into a central computer base that goes right to the FBI and the, and the National Crime Index no-fly list. It also lets the airline know that it's me. It lets U.S. Uh, you know immigration and Customs and Border Protection know it's me, so that when I come back to the States, it's not that I'm pre-cleared, but at least there are no surprises. I'm assuming that that technology could easily be adapted for health information.
5: Yes, and our, our friends at CLEAR are doing that. The CLEAR, you know, where you go through sure. for TSA. They come out with a health pass, and they're going to link it right to your record. So when you go through with your uh, biometrics, your eye or your fingerprint or whatever, it'll also say this person has taken the vaccine or had the vaccine or whatever. So I think that is a breakthrough, and we're probably well-positioned to do that.
3: My thanks to Roger. So, what's your idea of a great hotel, especially in the age of COVID nineteen? Zach Watson, travel editor for U.S. News and World Report, has a few answers with their eleventh annual list of the best. Before I get to my next guest, I want to give you a little bit of a preface. I'm not a big fan, generally, of rating systems. Uh, You know, the three star, the four star, the five star hotels, or the three star, four star, five diamond hotels, because historically. You know, the question is not just what the metrics they use, but actually who's doing it. Um, and if one of the metrics for a hotel is that they have to, to be a five star hotel, that they have to have a great golf course, and I don't play golf, then how did they suddenly become a five star hotel? So the question is what metrics are they using? And are those ratings really helpful to you? Well, one of the ones that's been coming out that's uh, truly fun to watch and to read, they've been doing it for 11 years now are the best hotels listed by U.S. News & World Report. And joining us now, the travel editor for U.S. News, uh, Zach Watson. How are you, sir?
6: Hi, Peter. I'm doing all right. How about yourself?
3: Good. So let's talk about that for a second. You know, how do you come up with the factors that you use, the criteria, to be able to even determine who's a good or a bad hotel? Not even a bad hotel, but who's the best hotel?
6: Yeah, absolutely. We take into account three main factors when we determine um, our hotel rankings. So the first factor is star rating. Um, We look at that from primarily TripAdvisor and Expedia, but also other industry sources. We kind of compare across all of the industry star ratings and determine what we think the proper star rating is for each hotel. In addition to that, we also take a look at TripAdvisor user scores. Um, I think recently they changed the name of that to Bubble Ratings, or maybe I just recently learned that, but that's the TripAdvisor reviews. And then the third factor we take into account is Industry awards. So that's anything from TripAdvisor Traveler's Choice Best of the Best Awards to Travel and Leisure's World's Best Awards to AAA, 4, and 5 Diamond, and a couple of the other rankings that you mentioned. Um, so we kind of aggregate all of the information um, across the industry and weight each of those awards differently. And that's how we determine our list.
3: And to put this in perspective, we're talking about 30,000 hotels across more than 400 destinations, right?
6: Yes, that is correct. We rank hotels in the U.S., Europe, Mexico, Canada, the Caribbean, and Bermuda. Um, so all I right. Think it's,
3: so I'm sorry. So I'm sorry, let's, let's get continue. down, let's get down into it. Uh, because um, this just came out, so let's talk about it. You have the best all-inclusive resorts in the Caribbean, and your list comes up with. I, I have to tell you, I, I've, I, I'm I'm very impressed with myself. I've stayed at most of these, uh, Jade Mountain, which of course is in Saint Lucia, uh, and 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 why why did they come up as number one?
6: Um, so with the all-inclusive resorts, what we're really looking for and. So again, we're we're aggregating across all of these other rankings. But the hotels that do well in our rankings are hotels that consistently um, offer everything from excellent meal plans, um, so things like Michelin starred restaurants. Um, I mean, you mentioned the Jade Mountain has incredible views with in rooms pools. Um, they call their rooms sanctuaries, which I personally love, and they all have three walls, so you're literally waking up and looking out over these stunning views. Um, So hotels that really offer a range of amenities um, are the ones that do well in our all-inclusive resorts list.
3: And by the way, I noticed that uh, in your best all-inclusive resorts in Mexico, uh, the top two, actually, I take that back, the top three I've had a chance to check out. And the one that came in first was the Grand Velas in Riviera Maya. The number two one, though, which we were just at, Uh, just about three weeks ago was the LeBlanc. And that's part of the Palace Hotel Group. What I love about that particular hotel, I don't know if it came up in your ratings, but you're never going to your wallet. It truly is all-inclusive. Because I have a real issue with the words all-inclusive because so many hotels will say, oh yeah, we're all-inclusive, and it's followed by an asterisk. And the next thing you know, you're going to your wallet to breathe uh, because of all the things in that asterisk that then designate all the things that are not included. At this hotel, they've gone over. They've really gone over the top in terms of everything's included. I I really have to respect them for that. But then comes the tougher one. The tougher, there are two tough ones here for me. uh, The best resorts in Canada. Tell me the. Tell me about those. Yeah.
6: So the best resorts in Canada. Typically, how we um, go about looking at resorts is. We take a look at, A, whether the property refers to themselves as a resort, either in their name or in their official materials. Um, and then we also take a look at their offerings. So when people think of resorts, they think of properties with pools or ski, um, ski runs, that sort of thing, specifically for Canada, um, as well as casinos um, would be included in our resort list um, and any other properties like that. So our number one property in Canada resorts, I just want to make sure I got that right, is the Four Seasons Resort and Residence Whistler. Um, that one is obviously very close to Blackville Mountain, if I'm correct. I think it's literally on Blackville Mountain. Um, and so you have these beautiful mountain-facing rooms, um, as well as the opportunity to, in the winter, you can go skiing really easily. And then in the summer, you have options like whitewater rafting and all of those sort of kind of adrenaline-pumping adrenaline pumping activities you can do from the resort
3: itself exactly and i noticed in that list uh three of the five top resorts were all fairmonts and interestingly about the fairmont if you look at your history there those are the old railroad hotels on the old canadian pacific railroad where people would stop because that's where the that's where the train station was you know the chateau lake louise the fairmont chateau whistler and the one that everybody knows is the Fairmont Banff Springs. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to see that they still made that, that list. And then comes the toughest of them all, of course, the five best resorts in the United States. And number I'm one, sorry. Zach?
6: Yeah, so the five top hotels in the are five top best resorts in the U.S. The number one is the Four Seasons Resort Lanai, um, obviously in Hawaii, um, and just an incredible property. Um, with guests can essentially book anything they could possibly want to do in Hawaii. So the resort offers everything from whale watching to, wow, oh no, it does offer whale watching to scuba diving to deep sea fishing. You can also sit on the beach and enjoy, you know, a drink um, as well as the rooms are all just incredible. They have these private patios, massive TVs. I don't know why anybody would want to be watching TV during their uh, vacation. I can answer that.
3: I can answer that. I can answer that. (laughs) A very interesting lesson that I learned when Four Seasons opened up their very first resort, which, by the way, you also made your list, in Maui uh, back in the late 80s. Um, And they did a test, and they did focus groups. And the focus groups came back and said, we don't want phones, we don't want TVs, We're on vacation. We don't want to be disturbed. And I said to the general manager at that time, we were doing a hard hat tour of the hotel while they were still in construction. I said, how many phones are you putting in the room? He said, oh, just one with like a two-foot cord. And I said, any TVs? No. I said, you are about to have a revolution. He said, but we tested our focus groups. And they came back and they said they didn't want to be disturbed. I said, I got news for you. They are disturbed. The people do not change their loca- their lifestyle when they change their location. They want they wanted to have have the option of finding out what the uh, you know what the Lakers score was the other night, or what happened in the news, or you know be, this is way before streaming, but they want to be able to have that access too. You know, in those days maybe just HBO, and they didn't listen to me. They built the hotel, and guess what? Big revolution about a three million dollar phone rewiring change charge, and they had to put it in TVs. And now if you check into that hotel, I'm not saying everybody's on the phone, but you can't miss the phone. There are five room, there are five phones in every room. There's one on each <laughs> nightstand. There's one in the bathroom. There's one on the, like on the desk. And there's one on the balcony. If there's a fire, you could probably lower yourself off from the phone. Uh, and <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now, how many, now, we did the survey. How many people actually use the phone during their five or six day stay? And how many times do they use it? Maybe three times. <laughs> So people, the definition of luxury is people just love the option, not necessarily they're going to use it. I should supposedly put this in some kind of a perspective here because so many of these hotels are great to put in your list for future travel since not everybody's going to get a chance to go to Hawaii this year because of the, of the, uh, the quarantine rules. And uh, in many cases, going out, out of the country uh, to Canada and to Mexico may not be possible as easily as it was last year, especially to Canada. Uh, but going back to that list, Zach, you even have the best pet friendly hotels in the U.S.
6: Absolutely. So, the best, all of those subcategory lists, the best pet friendly hotels in the U.S., for example, are kind of pulled from our overall best hotels in the U.S. list. Um, and then, as our editors go through and are writing and updating these profiles, which we update them every year. We take a look at whether hotels offer pets. That's kind of a big move that people want to travel with their pets. I don't imagine that's going away, especially as people are kind of looking at taking longer trips in a hopefully post or in a post-COVID world. Um, so these are properties that have either free pets, so you're, you can bring your pet with you and it'll stay free, as well as bonus amenities. Some of them have everything from Dog bowls and dog and dog beds with you. Um, obviously, the exact uh, what what each hotel allows changes from property to property.
3: Um, it does, and of course, the one that drives me over the top of the do- of the hotels that offer the doggy turndown service. God knows what the <laughs> mint on the pill- pillow sounds like. But uh, in any case, <laughs> you've got all these different categories. I guess you know the, the real change for me, because we're living in the in the COVID 19 world is in a day, you know, we, we go back to the day where every hotel was in an, an amenity war, you know, for luxury high-end soaps and lotions and potions and uh, seriously over-the-top luxury brand. You know, some hotels would put in, uh, uh, you know, Gucci and uh, and and, and <laughs> Chanel Cologne and, and uh, you know, luxury bath towels. And then, of course, all the paper goods that were in the room. Most of those are gone now. Uh, you know, very unusual to see bathrobes hanging in the closet anymore. Very unusual to see, you know, additional towel service unless you absolutely request it prior to your arrival. And the paper goods have all been taken out. By the way, I happen to think that's a good thing. No more tent cards on the table and brochures that you don't want to see anyway. But it's changed the way that hotels have to define luxury too, Uh, in terms of the quality of time. And most importantly, I suppose, the quality of space. About what you're giving hotel guests in terms of the space they desperately require now, whether they think they need it or not.
6: Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, I mean, coronavirus and uh, just the shift of the hotel industry has really moved a lot of trends along in ways that I think will uh, benefit the hotel industry for the long term. Everything from being more open about the cleaning protocols for rooms, so you know exactly how often the room was cleaned and how they go about cleaning it. I think it's Four Seasons now uses UV lights to check some of their properties um, to this big shift in technology. Um, So you have all of these apps that you can use to open rooms in certain properties and check in and have a contactless check-in. You mentioned the fact that they're removing basically anything that's non-essential to hotel rooms Um, So anything like, I think Wyndham took out all of their throw pillows, um, yeah, any kind of papers, and I think that's really a a good move towards the more minimalistic as well as removing things that, you know, guests don't really need anymore.
3: Um, You know, we were the first guys uh, when I was at NBC to do the famous black light tests in hotel rooms, and (laughs) I have to tell you, it was not pretty, Um, and (laughs) and the lesson that we learned from that, two points. Actually, I take that back. Three points: the minute you walk into a hotel room, and this was in the old days, maybe 15 years ago, but lessons to be learned and then lessons to be applied. The minute you walk into a hotel room, take the either duvet or the bedspread, take it off the bed, throw it in the corner, never touch it again, never look at it again. And then the second, the second thing we did, especially at pet-friendly hotels, was we did the we did the black light test, and we found I hate to say it, so many urine stains near uh, hotel windows that were basically gifts from dogs and many from cats. Uh, And so I guess the rule of thumb here is that still applies. In spite of all the hotel cleaning protocols, and they're doing a very good job, my suggestion is if you're checking into a hotel today and they still have a bedspread on the bed or a duvet, I would still put it in the corner and never touch it again. And if it's a pet-friendly hotel, you know what? I'm not asking you to bring portable black lights with you but ask the hotel when was the last time a pet stayed in your room i think they needed to uh, to basically fully disclose that and that'll be that'll go a long way to uh, making you feel a little safer and a little more comfortable uh, but the bottom line is a really good list this year the 11th annual from us news and world report 11 years of hotel rankings and you know what some really nice surprises there and of course the guys who are doing the hardest work right now they're really being tested on it Uh, you know, extra challenges because of COVID-19, they're doing a much, much better job. And uh, you know, right now the occupancy levels in many cases, either because of hotel policy or local municipal codes are under 40%. So if you can travel responsibly to one of those hotels, what a better time to do it. And it's still a buyer's market in ways that you never anticipated. My thanks to Zach, to Roger Dow, and to Hugo Martin, and my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and these days that breaking news is truly fast and furious, be sure to log on to PeterGreenberg.com.
2: each bottle of Quest Ice Coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find quest iced coffees on Amazon.com slash questnutrition. That's Amazon.com slash questnutrition.
3: Look around! You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail.